Welcome back, my friends. Best hour of their day continues to roll out episodes every day this week because it's bonus week. The CrossFit Games are here today. They officially begin. If you're watching on TV, you're watching from the internet. Truth is, I don't know how they're streaming them this year. But if you're watching them somewhere, be on the lookout for me and for Fern. If you're looking for me, look for a short guy. He's going to be smaller than any of the athletes, including the teenagers and the women. Uh, but he will have long, flowing locks and a sexy beard. That's how you know it's me. Grab a screenshot, take a picture, send it over to me, hit us up on social media. If you're looking for Fern, look for a human being that resembles Grumpy Cat. If you think you see what appears to be a Grumpy Cat on the competition floor, that's most likely Fern. Grab a picture of that. But Bonus Week has been a great time. This has been so exciting. We've put out some great episodes and the feedback already has been tremendous. People are loving Todd Woodman. He's a hidden gem in the CrossFit world. He's just such an amazing human being, so humble. He's just always someone that I've been around over the years and been like, I want to be around him more. It, it's, it was truly so cool that we've had him on the show. The Q&A that we had with Austin and Denise, that was pretty badass. And today we're bringing to you a stud, Marcus Philly. Marcus Philly is most well-known for being a six-time CrossFit Games athlete. Six times, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 16. But now he's more well-known for combining CrossFit with bodybuilding and just looking like an absolute Adonis. I'm not going to lie. I am very much attracted to Marcus Philly. But that's not what this episode is all about. We're going to talk about finding balance in life. We're going to talk about transitioning out of being a competitive athlete. We're going to talk about just running an affiliate or a gym as Marcus runs his box called Revival Strength, talking about social media. We even touch upon the didgeridoo. That's right. There's an instrument out there for all of you guys that grew up like I did as a as somewhat of a hippie. You're going to be familiar with that. So this is an exciting interview with an amazing human being, Marcus Philly. Please, if you have questions, feedback, concerns, hit us up. Social media at best hour of their day. You can email us best hour of their day at gmail.com. And again, if you're interested in our mentor program, let us know right away because it's almost to the point that we're not going to even talk about it anymore. It's too full. But in the meantime, hit us up about it and we'd be happy to, to give you some information on it and see if you are a good fit for our program. There we go. We're continuing. Marcus Philly up today and Chuck Bennington up tomorrow. You guys have requested him quite a bit. Chuck Bennington, another stellar human being. You're going to enjoy listening to him talk all about gymnastics, all about improving as a CrossFit athlete, all about being a better human being. All right, I've said enough. Here we go. Marcus Philly on today's episode of Best Hour of Their Day. All right, I'm here with Marcus Philly. Games athlete, box, or I should say gym owner. I've actually been saying box recently, and it's a term that's fading. We had a, mem- a participant this past week, and I said, what box do you go to? And she said, what's that? Oh, wow. So that's it's funny. That's interesting. Yeah, the vernacular has shifted over the years. It definitely has. So, Marcus, you've made, you've made the leap, I would say, from games athlete are you considered a bodybuilder at this point, or is is that a very generic term? Ooh, uh, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't call myself a bodybuilder. I would call myself, if anything, a functional bodybuilder, which is, of course, like the the training style that I've kind of ta- uh, tagged and coined since uh, 2017, early 2017. Um, but I'm very much still doing CrossFit and you know, approaching it with the mindset of how do I, how do I still improve my skills? Should I ever want to get back on the competition floor? But the the bodybuilding aspect has just influenced me tremendously in thinking about, well, how do I do this for a long time, right? Because the competitive uh, approach that I took for years 
you know, wasn't sustainable when I was trying to lead a balanced life of family and work and career and so forth. Um, so that's, that's kind of where bodybuilding fits in. It's, uh, you know, bringing in other principles from my past to blend in with, um, functional fitness, you know, mixed modal fitness that we've learned through CrossFit and then sharing that with people so that they can sort of enjoy the, the long game, uh, as well. Well, I think that's really what we're seeing a lot of people do, especially those that competed the years, you know, you, you went all the way back to 2010. It's hard to sustain. Would you, as I was asking you though, I would say, aren't all CrossFitters to some extent bodybuilders? Mm, I guess I don't, I mean, or is that just semantics? I mean, we're trying to uh, build our body. Yes. Yeah. 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 Bodybuilders. Yeah. I mean, I use, uh, we can talk about it in a number of different ways, but yeah, the sort of like the return to, uh, you know, lifting with this, with the focus of like body part isolation and, um, you know, growing lean tissue and decreasing body fat and some aesthetic qualities. You know, I, I just, I like to say that because they were concepts that were definitely looked down upon in the early years of CrossFit and throughout. And certainly in the original papers, you know, that uh, Glassman put out in the journal, it was like, how do you develop power? Well, you can't do that with a bicep curl as well as you can do it with a pull-up. So don't do that, do the pull-up. Um, and that, uh, you know, I, I can't remember how many times I probably spouted this off to some prospective member at my CrossFit gym where I said, oh yeah, we don't do any ice. You don't, you won't, you won't find a machine in our gym. You'll just find free weights. Like we don't find us doing bicep curls. You find us doing thrusters. Like I was superior to who was doing that out there. And, you know, I've kind of come full circle to recognize, like, I was a little bit, bought, I was, I was drinking the Kool-Aid pretty hard and I wasn't really like, you know, paying enough uh, respect to the concept of, of bodybuilding and how massive that still is in the world. People still going to conventional gyms and doing that and, and seeing results and having fun. And, um, so anyhow, it's just, uh, that's what I mean with bodybuilding, but yes, to your point, we're all trying to build our bodies and we all want something more than what we have now. Otherwise we wouldn't be training. Yeah. I remember maybe 2008 or nine, we had a slogan, friends don't let friends do bicep curls. Oh man. You know, yeah. so we took it yeah. to the extreme. Meanwhile, you know, for a decade before that, that's all I did. And the reason I had reached out to you is more and more people are trying to add functional bodybuilding. My wife checks out your Instagram all the time for motivation and workouts and all sorts of things. So it's, awesome. it's really making a, a shift. But I, you, you, know, you said something and I want to touch on it. When you were training for the games, it sounds like you didn't have balance in your life. And now you mentioned that it's helped you balance your life. You know, if you look at your Instagram, it's clear you're a family guy. You know, you have your, your, your wife, you have one kid. Two now. We just had two. another one uh, six months ago. Yeah. Okay. So you have two children. Are you, is part of the allure of adding more functional bodybuilding that you can maintain the physique you had as a games athlete with a little less time at the box and maybe a little less pain too? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to be honest, like, um, there's, there's a better aesthetic available to people who train with slightly lower volume. I mean, I think when, when you uh, we look at games athletes and, um, and I have, I can, I can kind of rattle off a few specific examples myself included, but, you know, training a lot of volume and the intensity at which CrossFit games athletes train, it's a lot of stress. Okay. So whether they're managing that stress with, you know, lots of recovery and good sleep and good nutrition, they're still under quite a, a big, like quite a huge amount of stress and stress just breeds like, you know, hormonal dysfunction and hormonal dysfunction is not how you get really sexy. You know, when you are, when your cortisol is driving really high and hard and your adrenals are tapped out from, you just accumulate some fluff, a little body fat a little water retention, just fluid accumulation in your, in your body. And if you get rid of that and you like lower stress while still maintaining good training principles and resistance and good nutrition, you can get even leaner, right? So, um, 
yeah, sorry, I maybe got a little off track there. No, but, that's uh, that, coming, but yeah, valid points. Can you can you give us an example? And not to like make someone look bad, but can you think of a? Let's keep it as a guy, so we don't point out a girl. But let's, you know, oh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna point out a girl because she's gonna be stoked to hear it, and I, I I I'm sure she has no problem with it. But I coached a competitive athlete in fitness who got some pretty high levels, and her name was uh, Caitlin Briarly, um, and she was on you know, most notably, like probably in the last couple of years, the Reebok one team that went to the games and took six with uh, Austin Spencer. Yeah. And, um, I think that was right before they switched to a four man format. Maybe it was still six at the time. Either way, it's like, I, t- I coached her individually too in the sport and she had, you know, a finish at the, uh, Eastern regional for like 10th place that year. Um, so definitely a, a high level athlete. And she, um, after those, that, that season of training with the team, you know, she took on a very, uh, a, a great job and she got more career focused and just recognized that she didn't need to do com- competitive fitness anymore to, to feel fulfilled and feel satisfied. So we changed her training dramatically. And over the course of maybe the last two years, it's kind of moved much more towards a functional bodybuilding and even a bodybuilding you know, realm. And, you know, her body has transformed dramatically. Can she still do the same things that she did two years ago? No, she's not cleaning over 200 pounds. She's not snatching 170 anymore. Um, She still moves terrifically, but, you know, she's, uh, you know, we do side-by-side comparisons of photographs of her. And especially since she's a little bit more aesthetically minded now, and, you know, she's gotten a lot leaner. She's dropped almost, I mean, I want to, I want to say it was like almost 20 pounds and she's maintained like a dramatic, you know, a a ton of strength and functionality. It's just that like training four hours a day, commuting an hour in the car to get to training practice with your buddies, you know, going, going like full tilt for eight months out of the year. Um, it was just, it was always just stressful and hard. And, um, so that's one example. And then I think I was kind of another example. It's like at the peak of my competing and you know, CrossFit, the end of 2016, you know, I was closer to like a 198, 200 pound athlete. And, and now it's like my volumes come down. Uh, and I'm more of like a 190 athlete. So I've lost, you know, and, and if I look at my, and I take regular in-body scans to like, look at my, you know, body composition every three months or so. And my skeletal muscle mass hasn't changed that dramatically. It's just like fluid retention, water retention, just I just call it the, like I said, the fluff, the fluff being, you know, pushing and punishing your body all the time. And are you having more fun this way? I mean, I'm having, I I was having a lot of fun that way. I'm having fun this way. Um, You know, the fun of it really to me is does the training and does the approach align with, you know, my lifestyle back then training four hours a day, that was what, or three hours a day. That's what, that's what I set my life up for. And it really worked. And I really loved it. Now training three to four hours a day would stress me out. And it did for a little while. I tried to maintain that. Um, and it was just like, I have work to do. I've got my family. I got to, you know, I have, uh, I want to be spending time with, and it just wasn't, it wasn't working. So I would say now I found a flow that feels really fun. Um, and I miss, you know, I, some parts of me miss the ability to go out and spend four hours in the gym and, you know, train and not have to worry about something else. Now, I believe if, if my research is correct next year, though, you age into the masters. Yes. I'll be aging in, uh, in October, right before the alleged October, October open is happening. <laughs> so will we see you back on the competition floor? I'm I'm sort of kind of prepping myself in that with that in mind, yeah. Um, but you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to ramp up to three four hours a day of training. I'm going to keep it to what it what it is, and if if what I can do now and the the amount of training time I can dedicate is uh, is enough to you know propel me to the next stages of of the season, then great. If not, then that's still great too. Well, with all this free time outside of spending it with your two children and working on your business, what have, what has it given you time to do? Um, that's essentially, that's it. Yeah. It's, it's just given me more time to, to, uh, 
you know, develop an actual business and a career that's mine. I mean, I, I had a business prior to kids when I was competing, that was, it was a partnership that I was in. Um, and those, you know, essentially what that did was it kind of alleviated some of the, you know, workload and the stress, like, uh, my partners took care of certain things. I took care of certain things. So I was running, you know, 50% of a business, so to speak. And, um, and it, that afforded me some time to maybe dedicate more to training. Now I'm, you know, I'm a sole owner. Uh, I've got, you know, about 10 employees that work for me. And that right there is, you know, a, that's a, a huge shift in, in, in energy demand and time requirements. Um, and then there's kind of my, my working hours are narrower than they used to be because I wake up and it's family time before I leave for work. And then when I get home, it's family time you know, when I'm there. And those used to be hours that I could just kind of maybe train some more, do some more work or kind of take care of myself. And it's interesting when there's other people that require your, your full attention and rely on you. Um, you know, I grew up, I wouldn't want to say I was a selfish person, but until I had kids, it was like pretty selfish. It was just, just me, you know, and, and my wife or my girlfriend or whatever. I thought you were going to say you have more time to play the didgeridoo, which in my research I found you know how to play. I do, I've done that a couple of times, yeah. <laughs> I had a girlfriend that played it. It was interesting. Now, you, you mentioned getting up early. The other thing I found about you is you really enjoy your coffee. Are you able to enjoy coffee and have a morning routine with two children? I, I am. I mean, I really, the way I make it happen is I wake up at 4 a.m. Uh, Every day. Pretty much, you know, between 4 and 4.30, um, I'm up. So if you, I don't know if, if listeners or you know of Jocko Willink. but of, of course we know of Jocko. Okay. Yeah. So when he posts his 4.30 a.m. picture, I'm like, dude, I've been up for 30 minutes. Give me a break. No. You know, um, I don't, picture I don't, your watch up. Yeah. yeah. I don't have a watch. I just have to screenshot my phone, which... I thought about doing, but no, it's, it's not like, um, um, you know, I try and get, I mean, we get to bed right around eight, eight thirty every night. So I'm still trying to prioritize getting some quality sleep. Um, but that's just having a morning routine and having some time to myself in the morning has always been the most important, you know, one of the most important parts of my day. And I getting an extra 30 to 40 minutes of sleep versus having that time to wake up and be with my own thoughts before the noise of the day starts. Um, it's more valuable to me than, than those extra 30 to 40 minutes. So I'm someone that really puts a lot of value on my sleep. I believe it's potentially the most important aspect to overall health, obviously nutrition, stress, you know, training. Where, where do you find that balance of it's, it's worth it to get up early for that 30 minute, you know, your kids probably don't get up to what five or six. So you have, a little even more than 30 minutes there yeah but you know you go to bed early so you're getting nearly eight hours where do you find that balance of okay it's worth it to get up you know listeners we put it out there we had somebody else on who also gets up very early talking about Jocko where do you find that balance of I want to get up early versus I need a solid night's sleep um well it's it but yeah, I, I have until I actually have until about six a.m. every morning before I have to start going into you know family obligation mode. So any time before that is you know available to me, and I kind of depending on how much stuff I know I want to get done in the morning, I'll, I'll adjust that time frame. Depending on what time my wife and I get to bed, I'll adjust that time frame. Um, I'm kind of aiming for eight hours eight to eight and a half hours in bed. You know, I have one of these whoop trackers that I really utilize a lot. And I've found that even with eight and a half hours in bed, my total time asleep is oftentimes not quite eight hours. It's seven hours and 30 minutes, 745. I have, you know, disruptions to my sleep that kind of kicked in ever since kids were born and so forth. But um, yeah, I mean, I, and then, you know, I'll, I'll play a little, maybe a little catch up on the weekends when, um, I know it's, I'm not going to have to like roll into a really fast day. I mean, Monday through Friday, we're getting kids awake, dressed, fed out the door on the way to, you know, school, daycare, that kind of thing. That's, that's, that makes things feel like they're moving really fast. And, um, 
it's so much of the morning routine is about, you know, an intentional slow start to the day so that I don't rev up my nervous system first thing out of bed. Like if I woke up to the sound of my baby crying at 6am and that's what started the day, uh, I don't know that that extra hour of sleep would be that impactful because I would be starting at high sympathetic nervous system drive, high heart rate, and it would last until I maybe had like, you know, my 10 minute post-workout kind of lay on my back at one in the afternoon because I'm going, going, going all morning. So it, it's, uh, it's how do I set up the right flow to start the day? That's, that's what I'm trying to create. And it's less about the, um, you know, I got I to gotta be regimented about the number of hours and I'm asleep. Um, I, still, I still care about that too, but it's not, it's not the only factor. And like you said, you catch up some on the weekends, you, you sleep in till 4.30. So you make up for it. Yeah, I really push it to maybe 4.40, <laughs> you know, Jocko gets me by 10 minutes or whatever, but, um, or I'll take it like this weekend, I got, I got to take an hour nap, which was, you know, I, I don't, that's yeah. not part of my, that's not a part of my routine. We're, we're working on the, you know, the kids, you're not, you're not selling them right now, but. Um, oh boy. Yeah. Well, I can sell it for you, but I, it's, uh, you <laughs> know, I think I said something to Josh Bridges when um, my first daughter was born. He was, we were, I had just announced that I was going to pull out of the 2017 season and he and I had been competing against each other for a couple of years at that point. And he was, he sent me a message. He said, Oh man, I'm, you know, uh, happy for you. Sorry that you're, you're pulling out of the season. You were such, you know, you're fun to compete against. Um, and I said, Josh, you know, I'll be back uh, probably as soon as I start getting better sleep or something like that, you know, like, Cause we're still in the first couple months of the baby first couple weeks actually. And he like laughed at me. He laughed and he sent back this thing. He's like, his kids were like five and eight years old. He's like, I haven't been sleeping for eight years. He's like, good luck. I was like, shit. You know? <laughs> and it's kind of true. Like there's no, there's no going back to pre kids uh, sleep mode. Right. And it's, uh, it's not because they wake you up in the middle of the nights. Cause you got a whole new set of responsibilities up until the end of the day into the at the beginning of the day and where you try and find your windows to yourself they happen later and earlier than you ever used to have them so my wife and I get our together time in the evening starting at about 7:30 as opposed to 5 p.m. when we get home from work right. and so it's like we want to spend 90 minutes together we're staying up later if we want to spend 2 hours together we're staying up even later you you mentioned Josh Bridges I've been back at the CrossFit games and behind the scenes for a number of years. Does anyone talk better trash than Josh Bridges? He's good. I think, I think, uh, I think Brent Fikowski has the ability to talk better trash, but he's too focused in the, he, he can, he saves his trash talking for like mid season, like mid off season, you know, it's like, Josh is just letting it fly like in the moment, which is pretty cool. So before we started recording, you and I kind of had a brief discussion on the whole health versus sport aspect of CrossFit. You own Revival Strength. I'm sure you do a lot of CrossFit-esque workouts, but also a lot of functional bodybuilding there. So we were just kind of briefly discussing how do we balance that new focus on health coming from HQ with the previous, you know, eight, 10, 12 years of what everybody thought of as the sport of CrossFit. What is that like at your facility? You get people coming in that still see the CrossFit games. How do you slow them down? I mean, that's really what we're talking about, right? How do we say, hey, we want you to be fit, but we also want you to be doing this for the next 20, 30, 40 years? Right. Well, what I've learned is that it's, it's not the training principles have to be understood. Somebody has to recognize that, um, getting, you know, somebody into the box, the gym, telling them, we're going to do this three times around. You're going to go as fast as you can. You're going to be lifting weights, jumping on a box and sprinting on this bike. They have to recognize that the, 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 that alone plugged into a hundred people that walk in the door is not necessarily the best thing for them, regardless of how much you adapt it, scale it, modify it, whatever that 
truly understanding what, a, what an individual needs has to go beyond just three rounds for time. And that means understanding assessment, program design principles, what it means for somebody to do steady state cardio in a way that's not going to bore them to tears, what it means for somebody to do real resistance training that they can actually see value from, not building to a one rep max if they're in their first month of training because that has that, that does nothing for them except for expose them to potential injury. Um, and so, so, so there's that, which I've learned. I mean, I've worked hard to educate myself on, educate my staff, educate the audience that follows me on social media about different ways to approach training that have different outcomes for individuals that maybe don't need to be doing that really high intensity stuff because they're already stressed out to the max. So but I would, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, so, no, this is also interesting. And I, and I agree with you. And I think, especially I'm 41, you know, 35, not that either of those is old, but you feel it and you have to be smarter. And I think as coaches and more ambassadors of fitness that you and I are, we do take the time to learn. We take the time to study other people. I see what you're doing and, you know, other people that are smarter than me are doing, but people join because they see CrossFit, they see, you know, the, the pain cave and, and what you've done in the past and what the athletes will do in Madison next month. It's, it's challenging to get them to under, you know, so I'll give you an example today at the box before a, a pretty mellow Metcon, we're doing a five by five back spot at 60% with a slow tempo. How do we get our athletes to understand the value of that versus you know, you have to bury your one rep max seven times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, that's part of the challenge, right? Yeah. Well, and, and that was kind of where I was, I think, going to head with what I was saying in, in that this is, this is a marketing conversation. This is about how do you tell people and you uh, essentially sell the, a, a, different, a different concept, a different model. And yeah, I think we all have to recognize that if you're looking at your membership in the CrossFit gym or in a gym similar to that, what have those members been fed for the last five to 10 years? Well, they've been fed this concept of you better go hard. You better push yourself more than last week, harder than last week, faster time, heavier weight. Otherwise you will not be successful. High intensity wins the game. And now there's an opportunity to change that message because one, that message isn't coming down from the top anymore. Matter of fact, where people have seen that on social media and advertisement is gone, right? So there's no social media out for HQ CrossFit games. People are not consuming, you know, that. Yeah, it's out there in other fashions for sure and it's other places, but um, we've kind of removed that. Also, I'm, I'm not in a situation where I'm attracting in, you know, I don't have that brand name on the door. So I'm not getting somebody to come in and say, oh, I saw the CrossFit games and I want to do that. If they did, I would have an honest conversation about what that takes in order to do that. I would assess them and I would tell them whether I'm, I believe it's, it's, it's smart for them to jump into that style of training now or we need to build up a base of fitness before we get there. I think most often box owners, gym owners, they have people coming in the door that say, I want to lose some weight. I want to feel better. I want to get a little stronger so that I can play with my kids in five years, 10 years, keep up with them. Those are the those are the things that I hear the vast majority of the time. Uh, it's it's less and less, especially in the states, since CrossFit got so saturated and everyone got hit with it. For I mean, unless you've been living under a cave, like most people have heard of CrossFit, they're not just hearing about it for the first time. Be like, oh, what's this amazing thing? I need to go out and try. Right? This is happening overseas for for different you know markets that are out there. So yeah, people are kind of, they're, they're still coming in with the same like core set of these are the things that I want. And it's up to you as the coach and as the, the gym owner to sell them on what you believe can get them there. And if you really believe that three rounds for time and maxing out your back squat every week is the best way, then they're going to follow along with whatever you say. I mean, you're the professional. They don't know what they're doing. That's why they came to you. So, um, so that's, that's the, that's more the situation that I see happening. 
when you're in the situation what you're talking about, which is you've got this membership that's been they've been seeing a message and and likely within the last three to five years, you were teaching this message too. I mean, we all were doing it. They're like, well, you taught me this a while ago. It's ingrained in my brain. I don't know how to, why would I want to switch? You've already, I mean, it's, so it's, it's hard work. It's super hard work to change that culture that is already ingrained in the, in the system that we were a part of creating. And that's where I got, you know, I was, I used to be frustrated by it and be angry by it until I accept it. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm, I created this problem. I have these members that don't want to try new training systems because I taught them when they first came in that if they don't go as hard as they can on the baseline workout, that they're not going to be successful, right? And here I am trying to say, we're going to do some resistance training at tempo. We're going to do sets with rest. We're going to, and they're having a hard time getting there, but it's, it's like, it just means that they weren't going to buy the first thing you said. You have to repeat it over and over and over again. And you have to show them through countless examples. And this is the most important thing that people need to hear. It is if you show clients with countless examples of very good training principles that keep them safe, that will allow them to leave not feeling totally burnt out and get a kick-ass workout, they are going to just be like, whatever you tell, like people want to walk out the door feeling like they did something. And a big mistake that a lot of coaches and athletes make out there is they try and dial back intensity and in the, in the in the attempt to dial back intensity so they can preserve the health of their clients they end up giving clients um workouts that actually don't provide enough of a dose response for them to feel like they got anything done and that is that's a recipe for clients is being like okay great this is making me like healthier longer and sustainable but I didn't feel like I did anything. And that's, that, that comes from, uh, that's kind of what, why I brought it up to you. It's like, there's a missing link there for coaches that are out there. They know that they're not supposed to give uh, Randy, Tommy V and, you know, DT back to back to back to their clients. They know that that's probably going to hurt their members and drive them out. They know that they're supposed to be focusing more on health over here. But how do I give somebody a healthy workout that has that's reminiscent of Tommy V and DT, but will keep them from, you know, having to take four days off in a row because they, you know, borderline got rhabdo doing whatever, and still allow them to leave the gym feeling like, man, that was a sweet workout. I feel awesome. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow for more. And that's, that that takes a lot of experience, a lot of trial and error, and that's experience and trial and error that I've been doing for the past seven years. Once I realized, shit, this is this is broken. There's something broken about this. I can't give the same you know benchmark workout four days a week to my clients. It's it's hurting them, and it's not really actually making them get better as fast as I thought it was. And so that's what I've been in the process of doing for the last six years. And it's what I'm calling functional bodybuilding now. And it's truly what I think uh, through the programs that we've offered and through the online education that we've provided, it is a recipe for some real uh, powerful training within these gyms and these boxes where clients have come to expect a certain feeling, but they also don't want to get the fallout of, you know, bummed out knees and hips and backs and shoulder tweaks and, um, and just feeling tired in most of their days. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think there came a point in time for me when I owned my affiliates and I was like, all right, I messed up. Like, that's it. Like you have to own it at some point. Like, this is what I believed and I've learned and and that's what you're doing. And I, and I agree with you. It's the challenge is to give them what they need, but also a tiny bit of what they want. Yes, totally. Give them what they need, disguise it, you know, disguise what they want, <laughs> like, or disguise what they need is what they want is essentially what I've come to find. It's like, you know, sneak, they, they want to do more, more longer Metcons that get them sweaty. Okay. Like everyone wants to do a 30 minute AMRAP that just gets them feeling like they're covered in sweat because that means they worked hard. 
and they don't want to do the, the resistance training tempo sets that you have at the beginning of class. Or they, they kind of gloss over that because like, that's not important. I'm saving myself for the Metcon. Okay, so we need to get them more resistance training. I can't make them do 30 minutes of box jumps, double unders, and running and some wall balls because their hips and their knees and their ankles are going to be jacked after a couple of weeks of doing that. So instead, I got to find a way to take resistance training, strength training, build those concepts into a 30-minute AMRAP. I got to find ways to give them breaks in the 30 minutes where they're safe and they're not, you know, crushing their, you know, joints or accumulating this massive volume of eccentric muscle contractions. So what are some ways to do that? I do a 30 minute AMRAP that has a tempo resistance training movement built into it. I do a 30 minute AMRAP that has, you know, an isometric contraction, you know, every round. Oh, they have to do a a night, a 60 second ring plank every round of a 30 minute AMRAP, what's that going to force them to do? It's going to force them to slow down. It's going to minimize the number of total eccentric contractions that they do in the training session. They're likely not going to be able to do those sets unbroken. So they're actually getting 90 seconds of a break to accumulate 60 seconds of work. You're slowing them down with a, let's say you, you know, instead of a wall ball, you give them a goblet squat where they have to do it at a, at a, two, two, two tempo or something like that, where they're pausing for two seconds at the bottom of every rep. So now you've got them doing something under control with load in a Metcon, you know, a breathing thing, and you still put the runs in and you still allow them to do some double unders, but you're, you know, you're like, we're, we're constructing something different. And at the end of those 30 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever fits into the structure of your class, people are covered in sweat. They did half the number of total reps, but they still worked for the same duration of time. So when you reduce volume for, for people, that preserves joint integrity and, you know, basically body health. And, and honestly, many people were doing far more repetitions than their strength and their experience really warranted. So these are just that's just one example of ways that we've discovered how to do that and how to disguise, you know, like, oh, you want the 20 minute AMRAP? I do too. Let's get you doing it. Yeah. And I think when you, when you say that you're really kind of disguising an old school, somewhat of a bodybuilding routine in there, you know, do your set of squats, you're doing your, your isometric core at the end, like we all used to do. And, you know, maybe a little bit of Metcon, you know, or cardio. That's, it's more fun. And I, I was talking to some friends this weekend. I said something like, despite what we've proven high intensity workouts work, people still want long, slow, because they think that's what they need. And CrossFit's still in its infancy. I mean, I still forget that at times because before CrossFit, I had 20 years of Globo gym training where it was Mm -hmm. chest tries, cardio, abs. So it it takes someone learning. Has there been an impact? I know you're not an affiliate. I also think that... um... Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to add that I think that there's... um... There's also a, a, a large group of those folks that they, it's not that they, um, there's definitely still the group that thinks that long, slow is the best way to go, but there's now a huge group of people out there that want to return to long, slow duration stuff because they are like that hard, fast stuff is crushing me and I can't get myself up for it anymore. I mean, Fast forward, you know, 10 years in the, well, it was like eight years in the CrossFit gym ownership coaching space. You know, these people would come full circle and they're like, yeah, I'd see them years later. Like, yeah, I just had to get out of that CrossFit thing because I couldn't get myself up for the intensity week after week, every day going as hard as I just couldn't do it. I wanted to get back to something else. And that was like really important to hear is because yes, in high intensity fitness has can deliver a potent dose response to individuals, but whether they're ready to take that on because they're in whatever their, the shape of their life looks like is highly variable. Most people that had walked into my CrossFit gym, when I look back on it, were sleep deprived, stressed out in their jobs, you know, had, were in the position I'm in with two kids and not getting enough sleep, all that stuff. And I was like, Hey, come on in. Let me just dump you you know, for 60 minutes a day, and that's going to help you feel less stressed out. And it, it, it created actually more problems down the road for them. So um, 
anyhow, I just I just think it's important to acknowledge that there's a there's a large group of people that are not just like under the false impression that long slow is best. They've experienced hard and fast, and they're like, "Fuck that! That really didn't work," you know, and like that that would hurt me. Um, and and in some cases, long slow is really what people need because it's sustainable training that won't jack up their stress profile beyond where it already is with the type of lives that they're leading that, you know, are not ideal uh, when it comes to health and longevity. Yeah. I think what you said there that is interesting is, you know, they actually probably feel less stressed during that high intensity, but that's not actually what's happening inside their body. Like sure. Any mom of three away from their kids for an hour moving with their friends is going to feel better in that hour, but what it's doing for them the rest of their day with their cortisol levels is, and, you know, just beating their body up is a completely different beast. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's that, that, how do we balance that mental uh, stress kind of valve? Like you're kind of opening a release valve for them by giving them an opportunity to come and, move with their friends and be in a social environment and get away from their, their responsibilities at home, which is super powerful, but you're peppering them with this high physical stress response that does have some downstream consequences. And what's interesting is that for the folks that are out there that are really stressed out and they kind of are like, just always in this like low grade, just fog they come in and they do a high intensity workout and they feel like, Oh my God, I'm alive. Like, cause it wakes up their adrenals, you know, and it wakes them up. It wakes up some hormones inside their body that have kind of been quiet and shut down. And so they think that's like really good for them. But what that's doing is it's just, it's like uh, t- testing a system that's already fading and, and busted. What was the turning point for you to real, the realization of all of this? Oh man. You know, I think it was, uh, I mean, I, I, it's funny. I had a, I had a coach and a mentor in uh, James Fitzgerald, OPT, OPEX, uh, from an early, early age, like when I was still just like an early adopter of the CrossFit stuff and he was teaching principles. And it was interesting because he had like 20 years in fitness experience prior to that. Um, and he was like, hey, these things are kind of coming down. Like I, I see he saw these things happening already. And I was like, oh man, what are you talking about? We're, we're, we're changing lives over here. We're killing it. You know, I'm, and, um, so I'd always had like this voice of like, you got to be careful of these things that might be happening for your clients. Um, so I was, I think I was hyper aware of like, in just on the, on the lookout for, for potential issues. And I think I started to, I would say maybe like two years into, um, being an owner myself. So I coached CrossFit for maybe a year and a half, two years, then partnered in opening up and in the first year it was just like go 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 get things moving get the doors open get people in and then in year two I think as I was like trying to be a diligent box owner and really tracking membership and client database and retention and just seeing this turnover of clients that uh, where it was like people were just leaving and I couldn't explain it I was like what is happening here you know like I, I would I and I I had to look at myself, like, am I, what am I doing as a coach? Am I, you know, all, all signals pointed to me being a pretty good coach and being able to relate to people and to, you know, build an effective community because the people that were there and, but then there was something else that just wasn't quite adding up. And, um, and then over time, as my training and the CrossFit sport kept going up and up and up like this, as like, you know, members and gyms were starting to follow that. That's when I think I started to see like, wow, this is really getting obscure here. Like this, I mean, this is just, we're, we're missing the the point. And that might've been around 2014, maybe, you know, early 2015, where it was just, uh, you know, main site programming was, was getting way out there too. Lots of hero workouts and just beat downs and, um, yeah, it just, it didn't, it didn't quite make sense. So where do you see your gym going in the future? Continuing to offer functional movement style classes like CrossFit does, 
but but more so what you're putting out there? Um, yeah, I mean, my gym has been, you know, for, since since we opened, we we haven't offered any group fitness. So we don't we don't offer any group classes. Um, we've always just offered individual training, um, which we which is essentially our members all have a coach that uh, designs them a unique custom plan that's appropriate to their goals and their fitness abilities and, and their background. And they come in and perform that in sort of a, you know, a group, a group atmosphere. I mean, we have more or less an open gym format and people come in and they get their, they take their individual programs and they do their workouts. And there's a, there's a floor coach, just like there was a group class coach, uh, in the CrossFit, uh, group class days. And that group, that floor coach is facilitating their workout, helping them, you know, with setup, refining movement technique, helping them understand the training principles, but they each have like a sole coach that they report to that allows them, uh, to always have like a, a place to check in and a person to, to stay aligned with that can adjust their training based upon high stress times that they might be going through, you know, travel schedule that they may have, um, giving them nutritional uh, coaching and, and prescriptions that are appropriate to what they want, where they're at in their life. So this idea of personal accountability and individualized training designs um, is something that I want to see certainly continue here in the, in our gym. Um, and we do that for on-site clients and we do that for remote clients. So we have a, a, a pretty large remote training, uh, remote coaching business that we run and we work with clients from all over the country that are, they've had a lot of good exposure to movement coaching. They, they have access to a place to train, or maybe they've created a home gym for themselves and they are just looking for a coach that's going to be able to really listen and align with what they need and create a plan for them so that they can pursue that plan without feeling like they're at risk of, you know, burning themselves out, hurting themselves, or missing the mark on their goals. So it sounds very in line with the OPEX model. Absolutely, yeah. We so, are definitely 100% in line with that um, from an on-site training facility perspective. And, and I'm all for it. I think James is very intelligent, knows what he's doing. The challenge I have found is, and, I, and I've said this before, it's, you know, and I use myself as an example, I believe you and I have no doubt what you would tell me to do would work. Where, how do you get someone to do that versus for me, it's all about, I need to show up to class, get that community to get me motivated. So sure. where's that balance of this is smarter, this is what you actually need, but you may not enjoy it as much as showing up to a class where it's all high energy. Did you catch that Absolutely. in there? I mean, okay. I, I did, I did. Um, so, I mean, that's the difference between like an on-site person and a remote coaching person. So this remote coaching person that re reaches out and gets virtual coaching, um, you know, that's a specific type of person, right? That person is not, you know, they, they uh, the ideal fit for that is not somebody who needs or who's relying on that energy within a group to propel them. Now there is, there's a, there's a big audience of people out there that are, that are self-motivated that don't, they've been training for their whole lives before CrossFit ever came along. They never missed a day in the gym. Um, you know, they're, they love being challenged. They like having a personal relationship with a coach and they may fit really well into that remote coaching model for the person that's like a, an onsite member. We absolutely value all of those things. I mean, I was, I was in that system for a long time. I know the value of a high energy, you know, fun, welcoming environment where people feel like they're at home or it's like their best place to go at each day is the gym. And so we're trying to blend both. I mean, I don't want to sacrifice. I, and I've always, and I felt this even when I was in a, in a group model, it's like, I don't feel like the thing that ties everybody together is the whiteboard workout. It's, it's other things. It's the, it's the, it's the personnel that work at your facility. It's how it's the culture that you create. Like when you pit people against each other in competition, 
it doesn't always result in this warm, welcoming community. It, it results in little clicks. Oh, you're the high enders. Oh, we're, we're just kind of like, we're the DFL group, you know, we're whatever, like, which is cool and all, but it's, we're like, we're trying to build this global kind of rich community where everyone feels like they are just as important as the, as the next person. So in a, in a way, by, by removing that one workout for everybody, we've decreased competition dramatically, which doesn't mean people don't work hard. They're still in there working hard next to another person. It's just that I'm not, I don't, I'm not doing deadlifts while you're doing, you know, deadlifts, I'm doing deadlifts while you're doing back squats. And so we're, we're not, we're not saying like, Hey, here's your special workout. That's perfect for you. Now go do it in the corner while we all have fun over here. It's like, no, this is, you're part of what everyone's doing. And, um, I, when I had my CrossFit gym, I, we, we did this little hybrid model where we had group class going on and we had people doing individual design. And that was just a, it was just kind of, it got kind of messy. Cause it was like, we, we created now another group to like have a click. And there was, so anyhow, I, I agree with what you're saying. I really feel like, you know, having a place where somebody comes and they just feel like I'm connected to what's happening here. I like the people, like this energy is great. And on top of that, I've got this program that's does, isn't going to make me snatch today because I, I don't need to snatch. Like I, I actually, that's not part of my function in my life. So I'm not going to call that part of my functional training. Um, that I think is, is working. And with that said, it's, we're still in our infancy too. And it's like, it's not, it's not necessarily a, a model that's going to work for every single person and group fitness is still super powerful. And I still think there's a place for it. It's, um, it's just, uh, how, how my training and my experience over the past couple of years has kind of pointed me in the direction that feels aligned for me now. No, and I, and I like what you're saying. I think for me, I often equate the energy at the box with ramping up intensity, right? So yeah, I like having my buddy beside me that I want to beat, but you're right. I've been there on a Saturday where 12 of us are doing different workouts, but it's still that same energy, same vibe, even mm -hmm. though we're not necessarily doing the same thing. Yeah. All right. That was a lot of deep talk and, and I'm sure you have to get moving. Let me, let me ask you a couple of fun, easy questions okay. to, to wrap up this interview. Great. What's, what's your favorite coffee? Oh, uh, Phil's coffee, which is really big on the West coast. And, uh, I think it's coming to the Chicago area soon. I think they have one in Boston, but yeah, Phil's is, uh, it started here in the Bay area and it's, um, it's just a great experience. And like in the paleo days when I was like really getting into, uh, like putting, and I started putting heavy cream in my coffee because that was like, you know, better than putting in any of the other milk products. It was like low in lactose. And I walked into a Phil's and they're like, do you want cream and sugar with your coffee? Like that's all we have. I was like, huh. You know, it just like resonated with me. Like they only put real cream in your coffee. And I was like, okay, this place is cool. So yeah, I love Phil's coffee. All right. You make it back as a master next year. What theme song does Marcus Philly come out to? <laughs> uh, do I get to pick? I mean, I would probably choose a, uh, probably choose like a Justin Bieber song. I, you know, I've read that about you. That's true. You are a believer. I am. I am. I have a, we had a Bieber fever Friday mix that we would, uh, that I would get to play every Friday. And then, and then to be honest, I just stopped. I stopped trying to be involved in the music anymore at the gym. It's just, it's not, it's not a, it's not a role I want to have or stress that I want to have on my plate. There's too many people with opinions. Yeah, I agree with that. What's one thing you would change about yourself? Um, I believe I would, uh, hmm. what would I change? I would, uh, I, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I would change anything. If there's one area where I, I want to grow more, um, because I think that just changing something and not experiencing the challenges of making that change doesn't really allow it to have its full meaning. I would just, yeah, I want to continue to work on this ability uh, of mine to really stop and transition and be present with the next thing on the list. You know, something that I think um, 
you know, Jason Kalipa, he writes about, and he, I think he does really, really well. I admire this about him, but it's like, go all in on something. And then the moment I switch gears to the next thing, that other thing is behind me and I'm all in on that. And I've had to learn, I'm still learning a lot of how to switch gears in my current life uh, because there are just new, new parts to it that I never had before. And they require full, full attention. That AMRAP mentality that he talks about. That's right. So say you and your wife have a quiet night. You're flipping through the channels. What's one movie you cannot resist when you see it on TV? Whew. Um, I mean, I understand the question. We don't have television. We have just YouTube that we watch and Hulu, but uh, the, the, the movie that I think if it popped up and I, I would just have to watch some of it is Caddyshack. I don't know. That's like a, a childhood Classic. favorite. Yeah, for sure. Classic. Probably the listeners are too young to really appreciate Caddyshack, but that's a Oh classic, boy. Classic. Have we gotten that old that we can't I, connect? You know, yeah. you're, you're young to reference Caddyshack. It might, it's I had, I I had brothers and cousins that, and my dad loved it. And I just, I was a big golfer when I was younger. So I watched that enough times. I like it though. You don't. So you 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 have Hulu and YouTube. Is there enough television on YouTube that like that you watch YouTube? Oh, I'm sorry, Netflix too. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. Yeah, Netflix is in there in the mix. But to be honest, we usually just stick to YouTube and and yeah, Bachelorette on Hulu. That's pretty much it. <laughs> All right. Last question that I ask everybody is: What's one book you would recommend the listeners check out? I'm just going to go with the one that I'm listening to right now. And it's, uh, it, and it's, it's, it's a, on, I'm on audible. It's two and a half hours of total listen time. So it's a short one and it is called I hear you by Michael Sorensen. And I'll just leave it at that. It's just a, a real, it hit home. Like from like the first, chapter first couple paragraphs he read I was like oh my gosh this is my life with my wife and I am going to become such a better husband by you know listening to this and 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 then it expands into so many different other areas of my life too I'm a huge I listen to a ton of audiobooks my goal was a hundred books this year so I'll definitely add that to my list considering oh that's gonna get you that's gonna yeah check check the box quick because it's yeah it's it a short one and I can probably listen to at a you know, one and a half speed. I will check yep. that out. And cool. I'll, I'll give you one because of what you said. When yep. you're done with this, check out Nonviolent Communication by, I think it's Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. But for me, that was the book that I listened to. And I was like, I'm the best husband in the world. I'm going to be the <laughs> best husband in the world. It was just, awesome. it was that good. So I'll definitely check that out as well. It's It's been amazing. Uh-huh chatting with you any anything i missed about marcus philly or anything you wanted to promote out there we'll of course put all of your stuff out there i was telling you before we got on your website is beautiful Um, yeah no other than that i mean just i love people to go and check out our website and get onto our email list we we send out um you know training articles and, and free content every single week that i i really think is it's just it's been my way of kind of sharing the, the training journey and the, the coaching journey and the process. And um, I just think it's a great way for people that are interested in kind of experiencing some of the functional bodybuilding principles that we have to, to get involved. Yeah. You put out such great stuff. I think a lot of people, you can tell who the marketers are and the people who are doing it because they're passionate. You know, if there's all marketing involved, I get it, but you're yeah. actually putting out good content that I always look at it as, can I learn without giving this person money? And you are one of those people that you can get a lot of value and a lot of knowledge. Of course, buy some stuff from Marcus, yeah. but well, but you could I definitely- think if, you start, if you start with with that, if you start with just sharing, I, as a, a young kid reach out to me on social media, you know, hey man, can you post something about me on your story so I can grow my page? And I said, I was just like, hey, you know, I think, I think what you want to be thinking about is how can you offer- you know, advice to people and how can you give something to the audience that they can get value from and that'll help you grow authentic followers and it's like what, uh, yeah. So that was my response to him. 
Yeah, I hear a lot of, you know, Tim Ferriss and all those guys talk the same way. I think you have a lot of those same values as those guys. And it's been really, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I hope to see you next year in Madison. Yeah, well, I'll be there this year just kind of hanging around. But um, yeah, maybe next year as a as an athlete. Yeah, bump into this year, you'll be a little less stressed out. But next year, I'll see you uh, running around. And hopefully, Dave Castro is listening and will play a little Bieber for you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, Marcus, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. And just so you guys know, it is bonus week. We're going to be bringing you an episode every day, Monday through Friday this week. And we've got some great, great interviews and episodes coming your way. Check out besthouroftheirday.com if you haven't already. And you can find us on social media at Best Hour of Their Day. Or email us, besthouroftheirday at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.